the odds of success increase the more you know about a market and how familiar you are. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization? If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you, and it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565, and he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. Normally, I ask the guests, what is their best ever real estate investing advice? But today, because it's Friday, we're going to do a special segment called Follow Along Friday, where I talk about with my business partner, Theo Hicks, who is the co-author of the best real estate investing advice ever book, volume one, and soon to be volume two. We talk about what I got going on in my real estate and entrepreneurial endeavors. And we just closed on a 296 unit in Dallas, Texas last week. So I figure we're going to talk about the five reasons why I like that deal and why we bought it as well as lessons learned from the capital raise that I had with investors. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Mr. Theo Hicks, how do you want to approach it? Well, first of all, congratulations on closing on another apartment complex. Thank you. And I guess the best place to start would be the five reasons why you bought this specific 296-unit deal. Yeah. Let me give some context for the best ever listeners. I'm from Dallas, Fort Worth. I know the area very, very well. Even though I haven't lived there since I graduated, well, I guess high school because I went to college at Texas Tech in Lubbock, 300 miles west of Dallas, Fort Worth. Most of my family lives there and I visit there frequently, especially now that I have apartment communities in the Dallas, Fort Worth area. So I know the area and one of the things that I love about it is that there's so many jobs coming to Dallas-Fort Worth. And in particular, North Dallas is continuing to grow and grow and grow. As a result of that growth, they are expanding the highways. And one of them that was newly expanded is 635, which is just a loop around Dallas. And this property is right off of an exit for 635 that they just completed. And the more I talk to people who are not even in real estate, but they're just Dallas residents, they're like, wow, you got a location that is just prime for big time growth. This is where the growth is going. So where we, meaning my business partners and I, are really excited 
about the property, then also the location. And you know, we never want to buy based off of speculation. We don't want to buy and cross our fingers that it will appreciate. But we do want to buy in areas that are in the path of progress, meaning there's a trend of more and more people and businesses going towards the direction that we're at. And that's certainly the case. And while we don't buy based off of it, we should take a look at it and have that as a consideration because there's opportunity to benefit when it happens. And so that's the number one reason, just the actual location and the access to 635. Number two, this is going to blow your mind. This submarket that we're buying in, out of all the submarkets in Dallas, is number one in rent growth. Mm. Out of every single submarket in Dallas, this submarket is number one in rent growth. And so the natural question is, why? <laughs> right. Why is it number one? And it's because of what I just mentioned. It is within the path of progress where the growth is happening. And so you've got rents that are low relative to the surrounding areas, and then they are skyrocketing over 7% as a result of people moving there and it being a more desirable area. That's the second part, rent growth. Number three is that the previous owner put in over two million bucks worth of improvements to the property. That's stuff that more mechanical base, more foundation, more plumbing, that sort of stuff that doesn't have a direct cause and effect towards rent increases. It's just stuff that a property that was built in the 1970s, which this one is, needs to have in order to function properly. And ideally, when we buy a property, we buy a property that already has that stuff done. That way we can focus on investing a dollar that will have a cause and effect for an increase in rent. And that's our business model. I mean, sure, there's the business model that the group that previously owned it that we bought it from, it works for them too, where it wasn't stabilized and it needed capital improvements for the foundational stuff, plumbing, ACs, foundation, and other things. And their business model is they make money by taking an unstabilized property, stabilizing it, putting in uh, putting in the money in the mechanicals, and then they're able to capitalize with a group like us who wants to then take it to the next level by increasing the rents now that the heavy lifting's been done. But I'd rather do what we're doing versus what they did because while they probably will make more money than us, there's more risk associated to having an unstabilized property and then stabilizing it versus what we're doing where there's 50%, and this ties into the next point, there's 50% of the units have been renovated and we're simply carrying out the business plan that the previous owner has implemented. So the risk relative to the previous owner has greatly been decreased because it's stabilized and they've already proven that half of the units can achieve the rent increases. And then lastly, the opportunity to not only increase rents through upgrades, but we're also going to build fences around the ground floor units just to have some privacy fences. And we're able to build those for about 800 to to $1,000 
and they've proven that they can increase rents about $50 a month. So when you times 50 times 12, that's $600. And if it's only costing 800 to 1000 then you're going to have it paid back in full for the build at least you know within two years, if not a lot sooner, depending on if you're able to get that exact $50 or maybe a little bit less. So those are the reasons why we were so excited about the property and why we ended up buying it with investors. And congratulations to all the investors who are listening to this, who invested in the property and looking forward to a successful business plan that's being implemented as we speak. When you buy a property that has 50% of the units renovated, are you kind of forced to renovate the remaining 50% to the same quality, whether it's good quality or middle quality or bad quality that was already done? Or are you able to go in there and kind of do whatever it is that you typically do for the renovations and not really worry about what the previous owners did? Well, you want to know who your customer is. And depending on who your customer is, that will dictate how you renovate the units. If we were to go in and let's say the previous owner was spending $3,500 a unit, and if we were to go in and put $13,500 a unit, $10,000 more, then we would need to attract a different customer and therefore we would likely need to do a lot of other things around the property to attract that customer building a state-of-the-art fitness center, which we are building a fitness center, by the way, with this one, but not state-of-the-art. It's going to be functional. We would need to have maybe a concierge service at the property, maybe a spa. So the reality of the situation is that we're going to go in and we're going to do slightly better, in our opinion, of course, slightly better upgrades than the previous owner. But it's not going to be a stark contrast. It's more about the materials we select, some finishing touches that we have, and the team that's doing them versus a big difference if you were to look at an apples-to-apples comparison between us, their renovated unit and our renovated unit. Because quite frankly, they've proven the business model by renovating and getting the increased rents. So why would we go in and then try to break the business model that's already been established? Certainly, we can try to push it a little bit to get the increase, even more higher rents, but we're not going to go in and do something of lesser quality and try to get the same rents, and we're not going to go in and do something that's incredibly different but we will put our own finishing touches on it and we will try to push it a little bit more, but we're going to be able to rein it in if we're not able to achieve that. That totally makes sense. In regards to when you were talking about how you the opportunity to increase rents based off of number one, the trend of people and businesses going to the area and, and the job growth and the highways. But something else you said too, is that you plan on putting in fences and that those fences will equate to a $50 increase in rent. How did you guys go about determining that? They've already built fences. They have about 15 that have been built, and they've commanded $50 premiums and rent on the ground floor units. Okay, so it's based off of the the proven business plan of the 50% of the units they've already renovated. Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. And so I guess just wrapping up this section right here, 
for those first two that you talked about, you know, the location, you know, number one in rent growth, that was kind of what brought you to that specific area. The last three, the fact that the owner put in all those renovations and then the fact that the business model has been proven and that there's an opportunity to increase rent aside from the area mm-hmm. amenities. Typically, you'd start with finding the area first and then finding the ideal property in that location. And the reason I asked that is I saw that someone commented on your blog post and they were asking about kind of that process and you kind of put like a high level process on there and you said like, you know, find the location and then find the property and not the opposite way around. Yeah. And if you would have asked me that question whenever I first got going, I'd be like, just find me a property. I'll make sure the area works. But there's more to it than just finding the property because you have to have a team that you trust to implement the business plan that you've created. Additionally, if you're buying in a market that you're not familiar with and then you're trying to get familiar with the market really quickly, unless you have a team of experts with a bunch of data who are seasoned, then you're going to get eaten alive. You really will. You've got to know the area first. You've got to be an expert. If they mention a high school, you've got to know the mascot. That's how familiar you (laughs) need to be. And then you go find properties in that market. So that's how that makes sense. You do totally recommend someone starting in their backyard, so to speak, for their first investment, whether it's any kind of investment, right? I think I would recommend that you start in a market that you know through and through. It might not be in your backyard. In my life, yeah, I'm from Texas, but I lived in New York City for 10 years after I graduated college. So I could have found something in Texas, in Dallas-Fort Worth or in Lubbock, where I had all my friends at the time and my connections, and I knew it. So it wouldn't have been in my backyard but I would have had all my connections there, assuming that I knew people in commercial real estate at the time, which I didn't, but assuming I did. It's just, you play the odds, right? Your odds of success increase the closer proximity you are to the property, I believe. But more important than that is the odds of success increase the more you know about a market and how familiar you are. Let's pretend for a second New York City is a regular city where they actually have opportunities that cash flow. (laughs) And if I just moved to New York City and I was just, okay, I'll invest in my backyard. Well, I wouldn't know what areas. I mean, I just moved to New York City. So really, it's a matter of how familiar are you with the area. So you might not live there, but you might have most of your life experience in that market or you might have most of your friends in that market. So when I work with my clients... The first thing we do, we talk about the aspects you should look for in a market, job growth, job diversity, supply and demand. But we also quickly go into, after we know what we're supposed to look for, then we know, okay, what markets are you familiar with? And let's qualify or disqualify them based off of how we evaluate markets versus looking at the whole map or looking at a markets and Millichap report And being like, oh, well, this market looks hot, this market looks low, or this market isn't in hyper supply yet. Well, yeah, that's fine to look at, but you don't know the market. And you can get to know it, but it's a long process. So 
always start with first how you filter the markets and then what is your familiarity with the markets you currently know and then qualify or disqualify them. Thanks for that advice. Do you want to transition to the two lessons that you learned from doing the investor analysis on this property you just closed on? Yeah, I looked at the investors who were part of this deal. I love getting into the numbers and doing an analysis of where investors came from and having that influence the approach I take for future deals and then where I spend my time and how to continue to get the momentum going by bringing in more investors and working with the ones that I currently have. So I looked at what percentage of investors were new investors on this deal and what percentage were returning investors on this deal. What I found is that 69% were new investors, never invested with me before, and 31% were returning investors. And then I looked at the percent capital contributed to the total raise. And interestingly, I found that it was almost an exact 50-50 split. It was 49.6%, so round up to 50, for new investors. That's how much they contributed to the total raise. And then 50.4, so 50%. So 50-50 split. And it told me something that is fairly obvious, but it proved it. <laughs> and that is that new investors invest less and existing investors, returning investors, invest significantly more, which is, I believe, two good signs that I'm getting new investors to come in, test the waters with investing with me, and then existing investors double in and triple in in one case, whatever times five is, I had an investor go from 100 to 500 on this. So the next question for how this can be helpful to you, best ever listeners, is where am I getting the new investors? Because the returning investors, well, you just have to perform and then you'll get returning investors. So that's self-evident. But the new investors, the, the three ways that I got them one is through the podcast. How it works is that best ever listeners reach out to me via my website, usually my contact us page, or they email me info at joefairless.com. They say, I listen to your podcast. I'd love to learn more about investing. I jump on a call with them. I get to know them, get to know their goals, get to know their background. Then we usually talk again after that. And then when I have a deal that matches up with their financial goals, I share it with them. So the podcast is number one. Number two is Bigger Pockets, relationships that I've made through Bigger Pockets by posting on there. If you're not a member of Bigger Pockets, then don't wait any longer. Go become a member of Bigger Pockets. And then number three, and you kind of have to have a deal already to make this really strong. Also, there are ways around not having a deal to still do this, and that's referrals. So even though I've done deals before, on my first deal, I had referrals. I had referrals from people who knew each other and they brought their friends in on the deal. So while referrals certainly will be much stronger for you when you have a couple deals under your belt, 
you can still get referrals from your current network even if you haven't done your first deal yet on a syndication standpoint. So referrals is the third way. As far as the podcast, you don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to do one like I'm doing, but you have to have some thought leadership platform. You must. You must have a thought leadership platform if you're raising capital. It could be a podcast. It could be a book. It could be speaking events locally. It could be a YouTube channel. It could be a blog. It could be just a Facebook page where you do Facebook Live a whole bunch and you have a certain topic that you always talk about. It could be a lot of things, but you have to have a thought leadership channel. It could be Instagram or whatever makes the most sense for you based on your audience and based on what you enjoy doing. And I happen to enjoy the podcast, so I use this as my primary method. But as most of you know, we got a book too where I wrote it with Theo and we, I do a, a YouTube channel. So I'm starting to branch out into others, but the podcast and now the book, those are going to be my one, two punch for thought leadership. So you must have thought leadership. You got a couple of good blog posts on your website that discuss how to grow a following on different social media sites and just content creation in general. So I'm pretty sure if you guys just search that on the website, You'll be able to find some good articles on that. For you, Joe, if you had to recommend one way to bring in new investors for someone that maybe they haven't done a deal at all or it's like their first or second deal, which one of these three would you say you have to do this one either first or it needs to be your foundation for launching? And I, I think this might be a, a softball question. Yeah. What you said. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's your first deal, I don't think you should be bringing in investors if it's your very first real estate deal. If you've done some deals before and it's your first deal where now you're bringing in investors or an investor, then the reality is it doesn't matter what any of these things you do because you're likely not going to bring in an investor who doesn't already know you through life. So you might as well just focus on the people who you know, people you build relationships with and find one or multiple people who want to partner with you where you can help them achieve their goals. If you don't have people in your life right now, then that's a problem and you need to fix that problem by building relationships with people who have the ability to partner with you and you do that by volunteering. I've talked about this in depth on previous episodes and I have a video on my website. Just go to joefairless.com and click videos I think in the blog section, so go to blog at the top and then click videos and there's a video on how to increase your network by volunteering. And it's a beautiful thing because you're doing something that's helping others. You're involved with a bunch of people who have the time and commitment to volunteer for a similar cause. You're connecting with them outside of business and you're able to have a real relationship with them that can, in the future, should it make sense for both of you, evolve into a business relationship. And I've seen that happen firsthand with the Texas Tech Alumni Advisory Board, where I had two investors invested with me who knew me through that on my first deal. And one of them has invested Literally every single deal. <laughs> I, now that I think of it, she's invested in every single deal I've done. 
And she invests in the very first one. Now she's invested in every single one. And then another is I'm on the board for Junior Achievement. And I go to serve. I go to give back. And because it's a cause I wholeheartedly believe in, and then I just build relationships, I build friendships, and then some evolve into investor relationships. And specifically, I joined the board for Junior Achievement here in Cincinnati a little over a year ago. And I, through a relationship, one person who I met on the board invested in this last deal that we closed on last week. So it's a long game, but if you don't have those relationships right now, you've got to build them genuinely through volunteering. That's the number one way I recommend doing it. I'm looking forward to watching that video. I haven't seen it before. Is there anything else you can think of or any other takeaways that you got from this new deal that we haven't talked about thus far? No, I don't think so. One thing I will mention though is that I have a Fitbit and this is kind of a little off topic, but it is relevant to building a business. I have a Fitbit. My girlfriend, love my life, bought me a Fitbit for my birthday last May. And it's one of the best presents, if not the best present that I've ever received from a functionality standpoint. I remember when I was in fifth grade, I got Street Fighter and I thought that was really cool for Sega Genesis. And the Fitbit, I realized, is analogous to business. Because my goal for the Fitbit Colleen, my girlfriend, and I always go back and forth on who gets the most steps, and it's kind of a a fun thing, is to always have 10,000 steps a day. I think that's most people's goal to have a Fitbit. Well, what I've realized is that I'll go run three miles, just dead out, run maybe even four miles, and I'll come back, and it'll be like 8,000 steps. I'm like, what? This was so intense. Sun was blazing and I've got 8,000 steps. I thought for sure I, I should have like 16,000 steps. And then I'll go th- proceed throughout my day. I'll have client calls, which are usually 30 to 60 minutes. I'll have other calls with potential business partners. And while I'm having those calls, I'll be pacing around the room. <laughs> and through that pacing around the room, when I'm just in air conditioning and kind of just walking around, lo and behold, I'll look down and I'll have 10,000 steps just from pacing around the room while doing all these calls. And what I've realized is that the activities that I think will have massive impact on the steps, they don't. But the consistent activities that I do that are just a habit that I don't even really think of, but I just do because I've conditioned myself to do, they have the largest impact on my steps. And apply that towards my entrepreneurial ventures and my real estate stuff. I bought a 250 unit like 12, 14 months ago, and that was a big deal, but it hasn't had nearly the impact on my business and on my career and my financial statement, quite frankly, as doing a daily podcast, doing something consistently every single day. And it's same thing with this 296 units we closed on last week. I guarantee you it's big and sexy and it makes for a good podcast to talk about. But guess what? 
It's the daily stuff that I do writing in a journal. It's the wheatgrass with a liter of water that I have every morning. And it's this podcast that we do. That the sneaky stuff that has the largest impact because it's daily. So think about that, best ever listeners. Think about the daily stuff that you do or that you can do that you just don't think about. You just do because it's natural or because you've conditioned your mind and your body to do. Because that's the stuff that's going to have the largest impact, similar to how the Fitbit works with the steps and how I'm walking around the room and that's getting me more towards my goal than going out and doing a quick three to four mile run. That's a really, really great analogy. It kind of comes back to that 80-20 rule that everyone always talks about. And I think it's like, what, 80% of the efforts, 20% of the results are the other way around or however it goes. But no, what you're talking about in regards to the daily habits are what equates to success, not these deals you're doing because those deals are coming from all the different daily habits that you have. And in the absence of those daily habits, there is no 296 unit deal. Yep. And so I think that when you were talking about it either comes naturally for someone like you or for someone that has trouble writing in their journal or getting some sort of consistent schedule or or habit stacking going. You got to just condition yourself to do it and just have that self-discipline to just do it when you don't want to. I was listening to a podcast that I would totally recommend all all the best ever listeners listen to. It's a Tim Ferriss podcast with an ex-Navy SEAL called Jocko Willink. Mm -hmm. This guy's a madman. He gets up at 4.30 every single day and runs just for miles and miles. And he's got a podcast too, but he was talking about the difference between self-discipline and motivation and how people always ask him questions about how to have motivation to have their daily habits or how to have motivations to network or to have your phone call that you're doing. And he always tells people, he's like, motivation is great, but motivation is such an unstable thing to live on because something as simple as being hungry can make you lose your motivation. And so you can't rely on something that you get get hungry, it's going to go away. And so what he's saying is we have to rely on just self-discipline. Just like you know what you have to do. And so all you have to do is just have enough discipline to just do it, whether there's the motivation to do it or not. If you know that by analyzing five deals per day over time is going to give you exponential growth, if you don't want to do those five that day because you're tired or you're hungry or you want to watch a movie it's fine, but once you start missing those days, that's going to build up momentum and you're going to continue missing those days. And so mm-hmm. it's important to have that self-discipline to just do things that you know you have to do, even though in that moment you may not necessarily have the motivation or the desire to actually do it. That's the key to push through when you don't want to because that's what separates the outstanding from the average yep. because a lot of people – won't push through. They'll skip a couple days and then they're off track. Hell, even if they skip a day and then they get back on track, well, you skipped a day and there was something that you missed right yeah. there. Great point. I love listening to both of the interviews Tim has done with Jocko. One, the original one where he had the back and forth dialogue and then the most recent one where mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss just had a bunch of questions from his audience and Jocko took it and ran with it. Well, Theo, let's wrap this up. One thing, best ever listeners, do you live in Atlanta or do you live around Atlanta or do you want to travel to Atlanta? Because there's a Think Realty Expo that's happening on October the 15th. I'm going to be there. I'm going to present top 10 
mistakes I've made in multifamily syndication. And it's going to be from 8.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. And the tickets are $45. And lunch is included. So if you want to have lunch on a Saturday for a reasonable price, then just go and, oh, by the way, there's a whole conference. This is dirt cheap. But there's also a promo code that I've got, and it's BEST, B-E-S-T. When you check out, you'll get 20% off. So go to thinkrealty.com, that's T-H-I-N-K-R-E-A-L-T-Y.com, and go to events in Atlanta event. So thinkrealty, T-H-I-N-K-R-E-A-L-T-Y.com, click events and go to Atlanta. In addition to getting 20% off, you'll also get a free copy of our book. You'll get a book, you'll get 20% off, and you'll get to go to a conference. This is an incredibly good deal. Plus, let me know if you go. Just email me, info at Joe Fairless, and I would love to meet up with you too while I'm at the conference and see you there. So go to thinkrealty, T-H-I-N-K-R-E-A-L-T-Y.com. Go to the events section and then go to the Atlanta event. It's Think Realty Expo Atlanta, October 15th, 8.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Put in the promo code BEST, B-E-S-T, and you'll get 20% off and you'll get a free copy of the best real estate investing advice ever, volume one. Such a good deal. Looking forward to seeing you there on October the 15th. All right, Mr. Hicks, what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? You guys can head over to my website at www.theohicks.org to check out the Unplugged podcast where I have conversations with other successful business people, entrepreneurs, or just friends or colleagues, and we kind of just dissect how they were able to do what they are able to do from a psychological standpoint. And I've also got some solo podcasts in the pipeline as well. So looking forward to that. All right. Best ever listeners, have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Are you looking for a hard money loan or do you have a mortgage note that you want to sell? Then email David at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com. If you recognize this company, well, that's because David was a best ever guest on the show is episode 122, David Campbell. And you can email him at david at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you're looking for a hard money loan or if you have a mortgage note to sell.